so Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin more generally, but mining specifically has established this energetic bridge between physical reality and digital, or I think as you called it, logical reality, which was a real breakthrough, right? We never had anything like this before. Um, maybe another way to say that is that we, Satoshi, innovated a way to bring scarcity into digital space, which is something yeah. that didn't exist before. Um, Solve the abundance problem where everyone else was trying to create abundance and abundance is the great killer. So he, he, he figured out how to get scarcity, uh, which is one of the key features of the physical world. And you may think that you want abundance, but then you have to ask yourself the question, if I was actually living in an abundant world, would I hate every day of my existence? <laughs> an interesting question. That might be a point you and I diverge on, but I'm sure we'll get into. Um, the way that I think about it is that so long as money is producible, there's a big incentive to go into that line of business to try and print your own money, basically. Yeah. Ergo central banking. But if money is <laughs> counterfeiting, yeah, counterfeiting. If money is not uh, producible or counterfeitable, then all of a sudden you have to direct your productive energies towards goods, services, knowledge, anything but money, frankly. So I think the scarcity of money, the, the high assurance or credibility of scarcity and money actually channels the energy of human action towards more productive endeavors. For the most part. You know, yeah. this is this issue about market failure where- Yeah, well, um, whole can of worms for us. That's a whole can of worms. And then there's also the fact that I might, I might not be able to make money in the form of central banking and increasing the money supply legitimately or counterfeiting and doing it illegitimately. Yeah. We can talk about whether central bankers are counterfeiters, but I don't really want to have the discussion. Um, you know, it's like the wild west where people go back and forth uh, between being lawmen and outlaws, depending upon whether they're wearing a badge at the moment. The, the yeah. issue yeah. of, um, <laughs> The issue of theft occurs. You can do lots of non-productive things to increase your share of, of hard money. Um, you know, heists, you know, whatever, whatever happened. Uh, oh, sure. You know, right. Yeah. So it's not that when you have hard money, everything magically becomes well, Adam Smith. Agreed. Uh, I would say there's a difference between gold and Bitcoin there, specifically the coercion, the cost of coercion and violence and the potential reward. Bitcoin's much harder to steal than gold. We can talk about the modalities of it, but it could be that a better Bitcoin was easier to steal. And then you could say, well, if it's easier to steal, does that make it better? We can have that conversation, but I, I wanna wait until we have a really much better version of Bitcoin until we do. I, I think that you know your point is that to the extent that you're going to put faith in the monetary field, like the electromagnetic field, to direct our activity in a productive fashion, um, it certainly seems to be better not to have it susceptible to human beings who might have ulterior motives being able to control the economy. Now, the people who have the job of central banking will always attest to their own goodness and just how far they are from any particular interests. Right. But you know, I think you, there's a legitimate question about, do you want to go after the problems of hard money? And there are problems. 
um, in a way that maybe makes them even worse. Maybe Keynesianism is a much bigger abuse of the market. It would be better just like to, to let the market do its own thing and cause its own problems. And then there's another point of view, which says that you'd be crazy to want um, no ability to stimulate your economy when it needs it and to keep it from overheating, that a managed economy is far safer than a truly just Austrian economy. Yeah, I think the empirical verdict on that is very much out because it's simply never been allowed to run its full course. Um, and it is interesting that Bitcoin at least holds the promise to enable that reality, to make it a real market test of libertarianism versus Keynesianism. So I, I want to zero in on this one point, though. So, you, sure. I mean, you agree that Satoshi's breakthrough is a big deal. We've, we've created a digital bearer asset. So it at least shares some properties of gold that made gold good money. Yeah. But I think where um, your, your hang up with Bitcoin seems to me, and tell me where I'm wrong, is that this binding to the universal ledger, which may or may not be private, depending on how connected your personal identity is to the wallet. Now, right. there, are, there are ways to break this. You know, there's coin mixing and um, all these different, let's just call them strategies for now of separating your identity from your wallet such that you can anonymize your stash. Is transactional privacy or maybe more specifically the binding between your identity and your wallet, if that can be broken, if that can be made untraceable, does that then advance uh, Bitcoin's value proposition as money in your mind? Yeah, you have to understand that I think people can be legitimately divided. Um, I've taken the wrong position on Bitcoin, is that I, I viewed it as a tremendous intellectual innovation, a discovery. Mm -hmm. um, it probably would have been better to look at it as a buying opportunity, and then we could be doing this on my private space station. Um, <laughs> so... Because I don't look at it as much, I almost don't even look at it as technology. Let me just be clear. As I said before, I view this as trying to port physical reality, which is intrinsically scarce, yeah. into logical reality. And my concern, of course, is that what caused the adoption of this half-baked instantiation of distributed computing was that it made you guys filthy rich. And that's a huge feature because it, it said like to have a bunch of uh, knuckle draggers wandering around saying number go up. Well, you can argue with them, but when they disappear into a McLaren and you disappear into a Prius, there's a way in which it's a fantastic argument. Something profound happened. And without that wealth differential, I mean, this gets to the heart of the unpleasantness of have fun staying poor. Mm. Yeah, it's ugly as sin. It makes you guys look like a bunch of morons. Mm. But I don't support it, by the way. Yeah, I understand that. Mm. But, I, but I do and I don't. If we weren't fighting people who are denying reality, hook, line, and sinker, right? I mean, then it would just be gauche. But the fact is, we're fighting really bad people who are yeah. really 
dug in and to watch. I mean, I, I would, I would want Satoshi for the chair of the fed. There's a, there's a person who knows markets, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Um, you know, and so the funny part, of course, I remember seeing George Soros come to address the Harvard economics community. And it was sort of embarrassing. It's like, well, what do I know about markets? You know, but it was kind of pointed saying the rest of you are forced to apply for grants. Yeah. And I've got more money than I know what to do with because I understand what you profess to understand. So I do believe that um, Satoshi's greatest innovation is the hope of moving to the point where we can give computers the, the rules of physical reality and it will duplicate physical reality to some extent inside of a machine at a logical level. That's what I'm most excited about. The fact that it makes people rich on the way there, hugely helpful. It's a, it's a, it's a positive externality. It causes the adoption of, of something that doesn't quite work. So I think that you have to say that it's killer app so far is that it made a lot of very adventurous people who, do, who think for themselves very rich. The great disappointment of the community is that the community doesn't have more self-confidence to say, okay, we got this right. Now, how do we help the world that didn't understand what we did the first time? Because, you know, my, my belief is if you have hard money on a planet that uh, is filled with viruses that come from, you know, let's say failed biowarfare uh, research or exchange of nuclear thermonuclear weapons that starts to screw up the entire atmosphere. Imagine that India and China or India and Pakistan have at it or Iran and, and Israel. Um, Bitcoin and distributed computing and blockchain technology can only help humans be efficient at whatever it is that we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. It's not a solution to the bigger problem um, of whether or not this place is safe. And I guess, you know, I make this mistake of saying, I, I'm going to look to the communities of people who focused on money, who focused on making a fortune and say, are you guys at all interested in taking on the bigger problems? Like what's going to happen with climate? What's going to happen with more virology? Right. Uh, what's going to happen with, um, the first use of nuclear weapons and thermonuclear weapons uh, in anger. And we haven't used them, even, even fission weapons since World War II. We're in for some very tough stuff coming up. Mm -hmm. And I just, I guess I feel like, I think both more and less of the Bitcoiners than they think of themselves. Um, I think less of them with all of the stupid Bitcoin maximalism. But I think more of them because I really expected that people who saw this particular innovation, like it's hard to see scarcity as a great thing. And scarcity right. is absolutely essential to freedom. Abundance is the thing that can take us out. And I just, I guess I, I keep hoping that the community is smarter um, because people, people saw it and they, they knew which way to bet. They knew how to pull triggers. So all the best qualities in agentic human beings, I, I figured would be kind of wall to wall in the Bitcoin community. So my, my hope is, is that the Bitcoiners sort of have a, a grown up moment where the community starts to say, okay, we've, we've won. Mm -hmm. Now what? 
Yeah, yeah, you still don't have your due from the central bankers. You still don't have your due from the Nobel Committee. <laughs> but you guys are now some, some, in some ways the big boys in the room. So, so what do you have to say? So far, not much. Well, I think it's an excellent point that the killer app of Bitcoin is number go up or make you rich. <laughs> There's no question about that. That is the motor of the network effect. No question about it. Clearly, we're generalizing here, by the way, because I know to say Bitcoiners assumes we're just one homogenous we have to. blob. I know. I, and but, I know that you're not. So all, all the usual caveats. Yeah, all the usual caveats. And I would say those caveats become uh, more emphasized as Bitcoin grows, actually. So the way I describe toxic maximalism in a nutshell is that it was like kind of a cultural immune system. That when a little sapling is trying to get out of the ground, it has to be very dogged and you know scrappy and fight its way out of the earth. But then once it becomes kind of a tall, taller oak with a broad trunk, it doesn't need to be quite so um, dogged. It can just be a little more stable. And so the rough analogy I, I think here is that if Bitcoin succeeds in the way we anticipate it, it's just effectively becoming an internet protocol for economic value. You, toxic maximalism just won't be relevant at some point. I don't know where that is. What is it, a $10 trillion market cap? Who knows? But you don't see people running around in the world today as toxic TCP IP maximalists, right? It's like, it's just an accepted protocol standard. Is You don't need to fight for existence anymore. <laughs> like, I'm imagining a TCP IP versus UDP <laughs> protest where yes. two groups are warring on the National Mall. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. So, so the, the toxicity serves a purpose early on. I think Bitcoin ultimately grows out of it. I've advocated against this and I've got a lot of shit for it, but it is what it is. I do think the luck work ratio too has a lot to do with this. There's a lot of people that just got lucky with Bitcoin. Some guys are just trying yeah, to buy weed and they had a bunch of Bitcoin and they yeah, some forgot times. about it and they got rich. Okay. But they had to forget about it. Because otherwise they would have traded out and said, look, I made $600. Right, right, right. Um, but that ratio changes over time. Like, I don't think you're, it's, you're much more likely to get Bitcoin today because you've put in the hours and done some work and uh, made a rational investment decision versus just getting lucky. You know, like it's the awareness has changed so much. So I want to drill into this. Real quick. So you mentioned Bitcoin as a discovery. And I love that because I've I've described Bitcoin itself is clearly an invention, but I think the absolute scarcity of money is a discovery. And I think it's a one-time discovery. I think it's path dependent, which can mm -hmm. maybe connect us back to gauge theory a little bit. And not only has it brought the scarcity of physical reality into the digital or logical domain, but it's also made it absolute. We've never had a perfectly fixed supply of anything. Absolute scarcity is a total breakthrough. So I have a few disagreements queued up for us to chew through. And again, I think disagreements are friendly ones. So hopefully my, my own opinions will change as a result of them. So let's talk about this toxic aspect of Bitcoin maximalism. And let's give it a name. Let's call it toxic maxillinity, just to get it to be viral. Maxillinity, all right. Maxillinity. <laughs> I don't think it's what you say it is. I don't think it's going away. I think 
it has to do with the fact that Bitcoin is not as hard a, a money as, as it appears. Mm. And the reason that I say that is that you can imagine that Bitcoin never goes beyond its 21 million limit. But that's because in some sense, Bitcoin is uh, disinheriting and disavowing its children. Mm-hmm. The so-called shit coins in the terminology of the Bitcoiners are in fact the problem of non-scarce, non-hard money. They're using Satoshi's protocol. They're not coming up with things. I mean, you have differences between proof of work and proof of stake and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, everybody's piggybacking on whatever Satoshi is, whatever this collective or individual or secret government agency or foreign power or Maybe it's aliens, who knows? Um, the shit coins are extra tokens of Satoshi's idea. And that's why you have um, toxic maxillinity. This is, this is effectively the treasury department shutting down counterfeiters. Effectively, these are counterfeit coins. Yes. You're saying, no, no, no. Bitcoin was only supposed to be a protocol governing Bitcoin. You you can't go off and create some new coin using our stuff. And the counterfeiters say, oh, yeah? Well, first of all, I added some stuff. Hey, here's one with a dog on it. That's pretty awesome. Everybody Mm -hmm. likes dogs. So maybe that's an innovation. Um, And then, you know, you can have smart contracts. It's not only a coin. Now it's a legal system. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever these things are, the reason that the Bitcoin uh, maxis have to do this, this incredibly bizarre thing is that they're, they're an essential part of your network. If you didn't have cyber hornets, maybe the idea is that you'd have lots of coins and diffusing the power of Bitcoin. And that's sort of, I, I think in part where, where you and I are slightly divided is, is that I don't think this money is as hard as we think it is. It's only hard because we decide that all Bitcoins that aren't Bitcoin are shitcoin. But in fact, the real problem is, is that they're Bitcoins. So, yeah, this is a, a divisive point, I think. So one thing, in, this clarified my thinking about Bitcoin is that it operates on two distinct layers. And indeed, this is true of any money. So there's a social layer, which is actually selecting the rules, basically. And then there's a protocol layer that's enforcing those rules. So the Mm -hmm. social layer are the the non-mining nodes, right? They're choosing what rule set to run for themselves. They're choosing what language to speak, if you will. And then the protocol layer, which would be the the mining network, is actually enforcing those rules um, and verifying one another's work. So that social layer has an absolute incentive to preserve the 21 million hard cap and all of the other consensus rules related to Bitcoin because it's in their individual self-interest. So Bitcoin is in a way aligned the solidarity or integrity of its network with individual node self-interest. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. makes it so cohesive. And I think that's also generative to this toxic maximalism in a way. You have people that are just obstinate and they're just saying, F you, 21 million, basically, which is really important. They are calling out counterfeiters, shit coins and shit coiners and all these things. Yep. Um, but again, I still think 
my, my original theory of if Bitcoin ultimately succeeds, that defense mechanism is less relevant over time. Just like we don't need to actively defend TCP IP today, et cetera, et cetera. I well, could be wrong. The argument, I if I just, yeah, the argument, if I understand it correctly, is that once there's a standard that works, why would you use anything else? Exactly. It becomes commonly accepted. Spoken like a man with a ton of Bitcoin. <laughs> not enough. I have not enough like everyone else. Um, Every, everyone has not enough except for Satoshi, who somehow is, seems to be very content. So <laughs> what I would say is that. Um, so that, just sorry, just to finish the point, to break Bitcoin or to make altcoins inflationary in the way you're describing, I would argue you would need to break the individual self-interestedness or social cohesion that's coalesced on 21 million, which I just don't see how you can do that because you you could go out and campaign the world, right? Spend a lot of money and like they did with Bitcoin Cash in 2017. We need bigger blocks. It's not, there's not enough transaction throughput on the base layer. Right. Okay, well, the nodes decided for themselves individually and they voted by selecting which- uh, well, This is your frustration. Which rules to run. So I the. I guess my long run argument would be that the shit coins or altcoins are non-inflationary to Bitcoin. Money itself, I think, is a centripetal oh. network effect. The larger the network, the more liquidity, the more valuable it is. We all want, there's only one gold for a good set of economic reasons. I think there will only be one digital gold for a similar set of reasons. Well, this is the interesting question. Um, and, and this is sort of the... The, I, this is the question about can you afford to, uh, to get rid of the toxic maxis? Um, if you believe that effectively the network effect is what keeps people locked in and that Bitcoin mysteriously has found the Goldilocks sweet spot on all sorts of things, like how often should we update the chain? Uh, how large should the blocks be? What should the total number of tokens be? How long should it take to exhaust them? All those sorts of things. You can make an argument that Bitcoin has done such a remarkable job of hitting these non-obvious Goldilocks spots mm -hmm. that there are lots of, you know, I show people the guitar and I say, tell me why you think this is the world's best instrument. Well, it's not really the best at anything. Mm. It's the best compromise instrument. It's sort of non-obvious. Like I'd rather be able to power into a note like bagpipes or a bowed instrument where I can give more power to the note. De guitars always decay. Mm -hmm. They're slight workarounds. Um, maybe I want 88 sets of strings rather than only six, like a piano. I can go through a million different issues about why guitars are not the best. And they're not really the best at anything. They're just the best overall Yeah, in a certain sense. Well, in the same way, I think Bitcoin can make an argument that it has, there are all these obvious ways to improve upon it, but they all end up with worse trade-offs. And that's why it's done so well com compared to its competitors. Mm. Also, it has the benefit of path dependence. It has a miraculous origin story. I mean, if, if true, that Satoshi was somewhat of a public-spirited monk uh, you know, who, who pulled, it's hard to believe. Nobody knows what's true. Um, I guess in that environment, um, I, I believe that this is wrong. I believe that sooner or later there will be improvements to the technology 
or there might be some super charismatic individual or set of individuals that do something or you know governments may decide that it's time to get violent and the idea is that yes we can't exactly figure out who holds this thing or how to stop it but we can figure out what the penalty will be and just the way if you show up in singapore um, not realizing that you have a couple of joints uh, that you bought at your dispensary uh, in uh, in santa barbara you know you can be you can be executed if we find you we're going to kill you so I don't know where this thing goes from here. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that you might find that there are coins that are going to appear that are going to threaten Bitcoin. And that my concern is, is that Satoshi's discovery is less secure because as long as there are people outside the network who are envious, and by the way, I, I have no problem being envious. Other people don't want to admit to envy. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of amazing to watch people wandering around with just this much money, having made one weird libertarian decision at some point and st sticking with it. And as a result of that, um, I worry that those of us outside the network are going to compete with it by trying to come up with alternates and you can say maybe that's a service because people will lose money and then they'll realize why bitcoin doesn't have that problem mm -hmm. it's also possible that it's early days you know i forget who was saying it somebody was saying oh we have a tradition in bitcoin it's a long-standing tradition i said you don't have any long-standing traditions you've been around for four minutes um i don't think we know what you're saying whether it's true or not so Yes, agreed. We're early in the broader scope of history, but history does seem to be moving a lot more quickly these days, uh, especially in, in Bitcoin. Yes and no. I mean, the, the, yes, in many ways. Well, we'll just say just in terms of market cap, I mean, for Bitcoin to hit a trillion dollar market cap in 13 years, like we're... But then again, we have this ruler problem, which is that True. I'm true, true, I'm true. still worried that in some sense you guys are still thinking in terms of the dollar as your numeraire. And it uh, makes sense because things are priced in dollars. Well, you have to practically day to day in some instances, but you don't have yeah, to so you don't have to denominate you your balance sheet in dollars. Like I denominate my position in sats, but when I'm buying lunch, I'm thinking in dollars. That's what I'm trying to say is that the prices in the physical world that you live in are dollar prices. So that's why the dollar shows up as a numeraire. But if you look at what may have just occurred with M1, M2, and M3, uh, I'm very reluctant. You remember, remember when a trillion dollars used to mean something? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know it, it's like, uh, you just have to be careful that you don't become a prisoner of the fiat currency that you're fighting against. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I describe the dollar as a computer virus on the mind, actually, because it, it blinds people, right? It's a it's the unit of economic perception. So if they can just deprecate the unit to extract value, then people are none the wiser. And that's it's it's amazing to me how simple of an illusion it is, but how effective it's been. I mean, well, to, but, the, to the point where smart money people, guys I know that run a lot of money and do really well, they actually believe inflation is like some st stimulative, healthy thing for an economy. Well, and, and you can possibly make arguments in that direction, but I would submit to you 
that all of that is first of all, social engineering in a way that yes. I don't feel comfortable with because you're taking advantage of people who can't understand the arguments. And so maybe these people can understand the arguments and it's good for them. And so they rationalize that it's good for the world. Um, you know, it's very, it's very hard to say, but if you have a money supply that's changing because somebody's pumping new money that has never existed into the system, you would notice that at some level, your value amount, like let's say you hold a billion dollars is flat. You'd say it's constant, but in gauge theory, right? You'd say, okay, well, somebody's now changing the nature of that. And as a result, um, I want to be able to show that in fact, while the value is constant, you've changed the derivative. So I'm actually losing ground. And that's part of the issue, which is, how do we drive the people who wish to use the CPI and GDP for political reasons, for redistributional reasons, for reasons of hiding malfeasance, people who are looking to do cryptic social engineering? How do we get them out of the game? And this is very unpleasant, but imagine that you were talking about global warming. And one of, assume that the planet is heating up because of human activity for the moment. What if the government made all the thermometers and they said, you know, if we change the metal in the thermometer, it would knock several degrees off and we would be able to hit our targets. So we're going to remanufacture all the thermometers, the gauges, right? Now, what if you had a gauge theory so that you couldn't play around with the gauges? How do you lock the government out of the gauges? How do you lock the evildoers, the economists, the Keynesians, the engineers, the people who know better than everyone else how to run the world and won't talk to us about what they're up to, right? The purpose of gauge theory in some sense is to do something like what Satoshi did, which is to lock discretion out of the system to allow the market to mediate the consequences that it was designed to mediate. Mm -hmm. Hey everybody. As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider Nidig your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. That's kind of the point, which is you, you should have a way of protecting the gauges. And gauge theory is a way to protect the gauges from the meddling of people who would address global warming through changing the thermometers. Completely agree. Um, I think the 
story given in chapter eight of physics of wall street was a great one where they just backed into the inflation number they needed to have to shore up the shortfall in social security um i 1.1 yeah and this, this is biblical right this is honest weights and measures clearly if we're going to reach a viable truthful consensus we need to be able to trust the language in which we are communicating whether it's words or prices um, or indexes, I guess, for that matter. So, okay, before we get into that rabbit hole, I want to address those three points you brought up earlier, where you said you thought technological improvements, these are the three threats I think you identified to Bitcoin, potential technological improvements from presumably competitive crypto assets, some charismatic new politicking for a new money or something that could break the social consensus around Bitcoin um, and government violence. So, well, if, if, if those were three I came up with. I could also tell yes. you that there could be a cryptological attack because of advances yeah. in number theory that I yeah. don't know about. You could have changes in computing power uh, through quantum computing that could somehow completely change how secure the money was, just the way you could find that somebody can figure out how to change mercury into gold at, at an efficient level. Mm -hmm. so you, I just you have a high, high, high violence so that low probability of discovery is coupled to catastrophic consequence. There are a bunch of different things that Bitcoin needs to worry about. Completely agreed. Um, and I, Bitcoiners, uh, speaking generally again, are among, if not the, the most yeah. adversarial thinkers in the world, right? We, we came up on game theory and it, it takes yeah. a lot, a deep understanding of this, the biggest game in the world called money to really appreciate what Bitcoin is. So I just wanted to offer some counterpoints to that. The technological improvement piece, Bitcoin is open source, right? It does adopt changes, albeit slowly. It, it, it optimizes for uh, you know, predictability, stability, integrity, all of these things. It's not trying to add a lot of new features because every new feature you add increases the attack surface, which is what yeah. you know, Bitcoin's optimizing for survivability. So I'm less concerned about a technological disruption because if there was something truly market proven, Bitcoin does retain the ability to absorb that feature yeah, it's going to be pretty robust against small changes. I wouldn't worry so much about the small changes. So I think you're probably I, if the question is if there was a major technological revolution that allowed for a much better money. Sure. Um, I don't think that's been tested because I don't think we've seen that yet. Yeah. And there's a, and this maybe gets beyond my realm of understanding, but there is a general argument that even if there were some major breakthrough, you could still port the UTXO set into that breakthrough. So Bitcoin could kind of absorb the new money or merge with the new money, but that may be getting too so far. Let me just speak very quickly to that. Yeah, The key thing that, that very often Bitcoiners recognize as an asset of Bitcoin is, is that they're not trying to make it do more than, than be the world's best money. Yes. Right? And so the idea is that we're going to let everybody else chase the rainbows uh, we are instead going to focus on doing something relatively bland to enable something truly wonderful. 
Mm-hmm. So by just making this money, it's not a legal system. It's not your best friend. It's not a hit song. It's just money. Yeah. That's like a deep insight of the Bitcoiners. Don't go chasing the things that you think are going to improve it because they always make it worse. Yes. That's sort of like a metastable state. It's robust against sort of relatively dumb add-on features that would spoil the integrity of the system and make it try to be more things to more people. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, one of the chief hits against uh, the, ether, the Ethereum group, I think. Yes. Um, I think that it's not as clear if you, for example, had a Bitcoin-like pro- protocol that was secret so that we couldn't necessarily, like, you know, distributed in unbreakable binaries um, in a weird way so that we couldn't, you could open source the thing that would say that it was safe, but there was a checksum on the thing that you couldn't see that so that you couldn't create new shit coins out of this new protocol. That would be a huge thing. And it didn't carry a blockchain. You'd be in trouble. And, and the problem that you, you see is that part of what makes Bitcoin great is, is that the culture around Bitcoin, I really don't like calling anything 10 years plus old uh, a culture, but mm-hmm. what would be its culture if it was around long enough would be to resist these temptations, which means you're going to be slow out of the blocks when something really new and wonderful comes along. Mm-hmm. And I worry that you just, that's part of the story, which is that Bitcoiners are likely, unless they have more tolerance for experimenting, you know, you listen, sometimes people say, yeah, look, Bitcoin's my ride or die. I hate this internet speech, but this is how people talk. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, I play the shit coins just for fun. So I can learn a little bit. You know, thinking like, okay, well, that's somebody who's a little bit nervous that uh, something up there might be happening and they don't want to piss off the core community. Yeah, I think you're getting back to maybe actually the value proposition of toxicity in a way. It's like Bitcoin needs this openness to be what it is. That's a very core component of it. But with that openness comes all these copy paste shit coins. Um, And the, the culture, the toxic culture actually preserves the integrity related to Bitcoin against those illusions or or, or counterfeits or yes. Um, and yeah, further to your point, it's, I think the people that maybe are either, they think they're hedging themselves against Bitcoin by being in shit coins, or they just don't understand, you know, maybe the network effects or social layer related to money as deeply, um, the market teaches them over time. If they, if they go through a four year Bitcoin cycle, they'll almost certainly understand the difference between Bitcoin and shit coin. Um, but it take you know it's not something that's easily explained or, or articulated. It almost takes that. You come up with a experience. simulator if you wanted to do it. Oh, yeah. See, one of the problems of the markets more generally is is that when you have a separation between let's say market crashes and, and disruptions, um, the number of people who had been in the markets professionally in both 1987 and with the dot com and with the 2008 is not as large as you might think because very often people wash out. And that means that the institutional knowledge is sort of lost. And you've got mm-hmm. a bunch of kids who've been in the market for five years and they've never seen something go wrong. Right. And I think that, you know, the same thing is sort of potentially true 
here that you, you have these cycles and you, you could have a simulator, which would take somebody through, assume that the year were 20, you know, 2013. Here's where Bitcoin was. Here was here's what people were talking about. Here's what people were confused about. Mm-hmm. And you might have put your money over here. You might have put your money over there. You might have crapped out and thinking that you'd seen the ceiling and you know now it was going to fall apart. Yeah, there's plenty of things you can do to not have people go through it. Because I think one of the things that the sort of senior, the OG Bitcoiners, if you will, um, speak in terms of is the market taught us all the same lessons. Every smart thing that we thought we'd done to outsmart Bitcoin didn't work. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you see the same thing, for example, is like quantum mechanics is smarter than you are. String theory is smarter than you are. Uh, the genetic code is smarter than you are. When you're dealing with something that is deeper than any particular human mind in some sense. Mm-hmm. Like the market? Well, the market, yes and no. The market is also a moron. You know, the law is an ass. The market's a moron. It's also doing things that no human being could ever do because it doesn't have to, it's not centrally controlled. Mm. Um, but I do think that there is a way in which the Bitcoiners sort of submit like Bitcoiners, Big, Satoshi and Bitcoin are smarter than all of us. And so everybody agrees to bow in some sense their head because they realize that attempts to outsmart the system have not worked so far very well. Yeah. And the, that intelligence is really rooted in simplicity, right? I mean, it's very That's the claim. difficult to understand Bitcoin through a traditional worldview, I think, because it's so destructive to your worldview in a lot of ways but when you really get to the bottom of it it's just again we're back to ratios and derivatives right you have an a perfectly scarce money being priced in a perfectly unscarce or infinitely reproducible money hence number go up right like so well the way i describe it is is an insurance policy on money printing so if you think central bank is going to keep expanding the money supply Bitcoin will keep appreciating. Well, that, that's, it's not really Bitcoin will keep appreciating. They will keep devaluing and diluting the fiat currency through seniorage. And so it's, it's if you believe that central bankers are more powerful than they are wise, and effectively they will have to lie about money in a particular way that somewhat dovetails with modern monetary theory, which used to be sort of a fringe idea that you, you can afford to issue debt in a currency that you yourself print mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that will go unexplored. The, um, you're betting basically that these guys are numbskulls and that they're going to keep printing as a response to every crisis. Yes. And I would submit back to you that I agree. You could say that, okay, it's not necessarily a Bitcoin is appreciating. It's just being priced in a depreciating currency, mm-hmm. but we have to remember that the inflation tax that's being imposed on dollar holders is right. also going to spark demand for inflation resistant money. Yeah, so it's it, kind it, of a it's a conforming dynamic where it's like not no, only I agree. Yeah. I think what I what I would be saying just to, as an add to that is because bitcoin is hard to understand and because there are risks that I don't think the bitcoin community is fully honest about itself. <laughs> um, 
adoption rates are going to be slow. The educational process by which people wake up, you know, th think about it in terms of Christian uh, imagery of uh, left behind. Mm. Are you one of the left behind, right? Mm. So the, the, the fiat currency people um, are being left behind and the others are being raptured and you're being <laughs> raptured into the bit universe. Okay. That process is taking so long because people find Jesus at an alarmingly slow rate by, by your standards. Mm. And that's good because over a period of time, all of those people who suddenly have a demand for a central bank resistant asset, Mm -hmm. Every time one of them wakes up, Bitcoin gets a little bit more valuable because mm -hmm. there isn't that much of the asset to hedge the inflationary problem. Mm -hmm. Agreed, agreed with you on that. Um, I would only also add that Bitcoin is a self-rapture, right? You okay. can choose to go down the rabbit hole at any point and, you know, base your portfolio construction on what you find out, what you discover there. And the other thing I think that is wind in the cells for the proliferation of Bitcoin is the just the digital age, the nature of information and ideas. Ideas have higher liquidity than they've ever had before. Now, I will grant you the current media apparatus is also fighting back against that with a lot of BS and disinformation and misinformation or whatever. But I think that too, the more mendacity you have in traditional media, the more people, whether they cognitively realize it or not, the BS detector goes off and more and more people are coming into podcast world or, or decentralized media where they can find yeah. hopefully more, more grains of truth. Um, and I think all of that's beneficial to Bitcoin, because I think if you're in pursuit of truth, you end up yeah. closer to valuing Bitcoin at some point. So if you imagine that there were secret tapes made where the heads of CNN, the Democratic Party, Yale, Harvard, um, Boeing, et cetera, were all recorded saying, I'm really worried that the world is going to wake up to its need for Bitcoin before we're fully invested in this, right? And the tapes leaked. There'd be a giant run on Bitcoin that would take this very long education process, yep. would accelerate it overnight. Yes. There's another set of tapes that could get leaked, which would be, you know, a, a claim that we've actually figured out who uh, Satoshi was, and that there's a back door. Um, that quantum computing is about to smash this thing anyway. And that we've initiated a zero tolerance policy, part of Build Back Better uh, and the Great Reset. And one of the Great Reset's uh, issues is that we're going to issue a bunch of digital currencies and we're going to make it a capital crime to hold Bitcoin. Those tapes would have a different effect if that was, they leaked. That would, would start flee. a war. Okay. I don't want to say what it would do, what it wouldn't do. <laughs> but I would say... El Salvador against the world. Um, I, I think that what it would do is it would catalyze more rapid change. Now, Bitcoin is both more wonderful and more stupid than most people think it is. And it, it's multivariate in that. So it is vulnerable to certain things that humans can do. And it's much more clever than most people imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. What would the effect of those different tapes be? It would be to catalyze faster conversion of people who fall out of love. We don't talk about this, 
plenty of very smart people have walked away from Bitcoin saying, I don't understand it. And I'm worried. I don't want to be the turkey that thinks that life gets better until Thanksgiving Day. Mm. You know, right, right, if, right. If, if, if weight is a number, then number go up right up until uh, the end of November. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, you, you have a very serious problem that we don't really know whether this is safe, but the same is true for gold. Yeah. We could have a nuclear process, a physical process that could create a ton more gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'd have a, a complete devaluation because it would become abundant. It's just a bunch of quarks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, excellent point. So the, the other, I'm back to the risk you outlined here. The second one you mentioned was this potential of a charismatic campaign or individual perhaps um, hijacking, I guess you would say the social layer, you know, Oh, Hey, new coin a is way better than Bitcoin in all these ways. And I'm the, I don't know, maybe he's uh, the president of some country or a religious leader. I don't know, some charismatic figure rocket manufacturer. Yeah. Or rocket manufacturer. Right. Well, no, uh, cause that, that was the one that really woke me up. It's like, well, wow, you guys, yeah. you guys got a kiss from Elon and, and you all get, you get mushy. You got mushy. Oh I, yeah. I, I like- got mushy on it, but then quickly saw, you know, Elon's just the ultimate troll on <laughs> online at least. So that's a great example, actually. So I would argue there again, and I'm not, I don't like arguing for the value of toxicity for what the reasons I outlined earlier. I think it goes away in the long run, but I think toxicity serves a useful purpose there uh, as it did with Elon, right? It kind of embraced him when he came on. And then when he, he took uh, a pivot away from Bitcoin, I mean, they just unloaded on him. Um, So this, I would say that Bitcoin toxicity protects it from the the threat of a charismatic leader because they have ritualized the slaying of heroes. Um, And this runs really deep. Like Taleb is another good example. Taleb's books and his thinking, they've been very impactful on me. They've been impactful on a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, But as soon as he came out against Bitcoin, they just, you know, chopped him into pieces. And no, it doesn't. No one slows down. It's not like they stop to mourn the loss of Taleb. They just like take his ideas and throw the guy in the trash heap and move on. So I, th- I think Bitcoin toxicity would be pretty resilient against a charismatic figure attack vector. Well, I do think that e- Elon may have been your biggest test on that front. Um, you know, I know Nassim, and I don't want to say things that Nassim has said about. Bitcoin, um, because I don't know what he wants you guys to know and not know. Mm. But my take on it is that he gets the general proposition and was very positive about it. And then his fears about the implementation and what it would actually do with unintended consequences on a going forward basis differed from the communities. You know, in, in Elon's case, I think he's just Lord knows what he's doing. He's having a blast. Yeah. He's playing with alternate things that he can influence. He can't influence Bitcoin the way he can. He could influence Doge, right? Right. Um, and so in a weird way, what Elon showed me is, is that there's still insecurity. Have you ever met somebody who's like got all the money in the world and 
they're going on their jets between islands and they've got cars and homes everywhere, but they didn't have, get a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And the person is spending their life saying, yeah, I had to drop out of school. You're like, yes, but you won everything. It's like, yeah, but you know, they feel incomplete. Well, there's a certain way Bitcoin is sort of like the Rodney Dangerfield of, uh, of economic theory. It gets no respect. And what I saw was that, you know, the trauma. There's a fair amount of trauma in the Bitcoin community from having been proven right and still not getting your due. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, I'm perfectly happy to give the Bitcoiners their due. You guys were very smart very uh, independently minded, particularly the guys who stuck it out from the beginning. I, I, I looked at the thing in, in the face and I didn't even buy it because it was too cumbersome and we couldn't figure out how to trade it because nobody wanted to trade it at the beginning. So rather than like, no. just let's get 10,000 bucks, put it in a hard drive and forget it. We did nothing like idiots. Um, but most so Bitcoiners I think have been down that path. Most Sorry, people disregarded it at the at the outset. Most we were we saw this thing at the beginning. It's just like just intellectually, holy cow! And then it had it had no value. And what was the most amazing thing was like calling up Goldman Sachs and ta talking about, hey, can we can we trade this or uh, AIG Financial Products Division? And they were like, you want to do what? <laughs> I just thought it was the dumbest thing. And it, it influenced me. I figured that they knew what they were talking about and we were being right. dorks. Yep. But so I, yeah, I, I'm impressed by the OG Bitcoiners for sure. Um, but they're, they're hurt and they're wounded in a weird, stupid way, which is, you know, your, your parents and your grandparents told you you were idiots or something. <laughs> Your college professor, you didn't go to college, and you know now you're inviting your college professor on your plane, but you can't, you can't scratch that itch. Have you heard of the uh, the Big Five personality test? Sure. I just took this, uh, I guess, a couple of months ago, and I got a one percent agreeable, which is basically in a room of a hundred people, I'm the most disagreeable of all of them, except one. That has proved a trait disagreeable, not just disagreeable. Sorry, yes, trait disagreeable. That that is a very important specification. That has proven to be a pretty common trait among Bitcoiners, actually. Yeah, disagreeableness. So maybe that has contributed. Um, well, it's, it's true among the rich. Mm, interesting, right? In other words pretty much in order to make a pile of money, you have to spend a period of time where you look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And True in Bitcoin. <laughs> because things that make you look like an idiot chase everyone else out of the market. Yeah. That allows you to buy low. Yeah. And then you have to hold the position when everybody wakes up and they realize, boy, did we not get this the first time around. Yeah. That's a great point. I never thought of it that way. I, I have the one tattoo that I have is the Bitcoin tattoo that you, I think you saw when we met, but I got that in November of 2018. 
So Bitcoin's at, at 3 a.m. in Tijuana after several margaritas? <laughs> no, it was in Hollywood, actually, in our favorite okay. place. And I had spent a year running a fund, but it was all during the Bitcoin bear market. I'm writing these monthly updates. I'm going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I'm playing psychologist on my 100 LPs. And I just decided it's actually kind of a Taleb inspiration in a way that I thought my skin was fully in the game with Bitcoin. So I might as well put my skin in the game, so to speak. And he I would, got that. Even like, if he doesn't like Bitcoin, he, he would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Hope he's listening. Um, Bitcoin's at 3,800 bucks, you know, when I got that tattoo. And then and now it's to your point, I looked like an idiot. A lot of people were like, dude, you have a problem. Why are you so obsessed with this thing? It's clearly going to zero. It was $20,000 11 months ago. Now it's three, you know, seek help kind of thing. And now it's, it's come full circle, which is interesting. Um, or is coming full circle. Hopefully who knows what's going to happen. Elon and Taleb though. I want to make, just say a couple things. So Taleb, he has this great quote that in theory, there is a difference between theory and practice. In mm. practice, there isn't. Did I say that backwards? In practice, there's a difference between the. Well, I may have messed that up now. Um, sorry, I need to stop and think about this. In practice, there's a difference between theory and practice. In theory, there isn't. The uh, I did say I did say it backwards. In practice, there's a difference between theory and practice. In theory, there isn't. So theory considers practice and theory to be the same thing, but in reality, they're not the same thing, right? And Taleb often talks about the, the IYI, the intellectual yet idiot. And I can't help, but so his latest paper, he published the black paper on Bitcoin that he declared mathematically it's, it's intrinsic value or calculated value, market value is zero. So it's asymptotically zero. I think you just said it is zero. And a lot of math, I don't, I'm, I'm not a mathematician. So let me just put that out clearly. But a lot of mathematicians came out against them saying, hey, this is bad math. You can't say that this thing is zero. First of all, just go check the price. Second of all, however he deduced it was, was illogical. And so that's interesting to me. I don't know what's going on with Slub, but it seems like he's kind of falling prey to his own, I mean, assertions or ways. I'm to very hesitant. He's yeah. put forth. He seems to kind of be falling to them. And with, with Elon, just to, again, Taleb has been very influential in my thinking. He has this other saying, that, don't tell me what you think. Just show me what's in your portfolio. Elon's out here telling us what he thinks, playing 4D chess about Dogecoin. One day he likes Bitcoin, one day he doesn't. But then all the while, Tesla's holding, you know, one and a half billion of Bitcoin. So that's the larger signal for me. I've almost just ignored, learned to ignore what Elon is tweeting about and learned to pay more attention to actually just what his portfolio position is. Both of these men are very enigmatic. I, I know one of them, not at all. So I have no contact with Elon other than occasionally we brush against each other in Twitter and it's not ever been very significant. Mm -hmm. Nassim and I have been friends for a long time, which is very hard because he's very uncompromising. Um, 
the trait disagreeable? You are a walk in the park compared to Nassim Taleb. <laughs> and I, I will point out that none other than Jordan Peterson over a steak dinner declared me the most disagreeable person he'd ever met. <laughs> and I, I thought I was being perfectly agreeable. I didn't realize it was trait disagreeable. That's why uh, I brought that up. As a, that's fine. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think that Nassim would never make it. My, my take on Nassim is that in general, people get him wrong. Uh. And it's not just because people get him wrong. It's also because he's chosen to be a public intellectual and not put up with all sorts of, uh, you know how in Bitcoin conversations, there are certain ways in which somebody starts talking and you're like, I know exactly what you're about to say next, because I've been through this conversation 14,000 times. Mm -hmm. Nassim's been through a million conversations to end levels where he's bored by just about everyone. Yeah. Which means sometimes he says something incautious or something that seems to be snippy or obnoxious. But usually, I have to say, I have a higher impression of him than many yeah. of my academic colleagues because I take him academically seriously. There's no, the reason I said is it asymptotically zero or zero is that Nassim would never say something so patently false. And I, I could be off on this again. I'm sort of re. I'm secondhand relating what I understand and I'm not a mathematician. So plenty of layers for me to make a mistake here. Um, and I could actually relate to that, how you just described it, where you've, you know, been in a certain conversation, you kind of just think you've, you know, been to this rodeo before, you know, the ending, you kind of check out, or you may just start um, saying things out of turn <laughs> to some extent. Maybe he's just been through that enough that, um, that makes sense to me, actually. So well, try, try to imagine you're Eric Clapton and you sit down for an interview. Somebody says, Crossroads, what was going through your mind? Like, do I have to go through this again? Yeah. You know, did you know Jimi Hendrix? Yeah. You've, you've heard the same set of questions so many times that you check out. And yes. I do think that Nassim is checked out of, just the way a lot of Bitcoiners are checked out of elementary conversations and, and with some reason. His style, though, is just scorched earth um, because he just he wants to preserve his time for interesting things. And I can't stand it, but I am sympathetic with it because I haven't solved the problem. I spend a lot of time talking to people that aren't adding a lot of value to my life. Yeah, well, I mean, rightfully so. He's earned the ability to do that. And he's a brilliant author. So um, and he's this a brilliant guy. And, and he, I just want to stand up for him because yeah. a lot of people don't. He's also strong as a human being. Mm. And I don't always have the easiest time with him, but I have a strong sense that if I was in really deep trouble, he'd be one of the people who wouldn't be afraid to walk across a burning bridge to help a friend. Mm. I just think that in part, it's, usually a mistake to mistreat a Nassim Taleb when he's trying to tell you something, because generally speaking, he's generous to a fault and will give you the shirt off his back. Yeah. And see, that's great. So that's a very valiant character trait that that particular character trait you just described is something I appreciate in some of my really close friends. And maybe this is the, you've had interpersonal interaction with him, much higher resolution communication versus my interaction with him has just been through Twitter. 
I think I'm blocked yep. on Twitter now. So it's very low resolution, low bandwidth. Um, and yeah, that, that's something to keep in mind, right? So people on Twitter are not who they are necessarily. Um, well, yes, the, the, the medium distorts us all. Yes. You know, it's like, um, I can tell you that Sam Harris has a lot of positive disagreeable traits as well. And Nassim and Sam can't stand to hear each other's name often. Mm. Um, more from Nassim's side of the fence. I think Sam's just irritated. But, mm. you know, it's part of the problem is getting your really smart, disagreeable friends to play on one team. Right. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's the magic of Bitcoin right there. 